Mishmash, a weekly conversation where we try to unjumble an important and sometimes under-the-radar statewide story that affects you. And right now, something that is affecting everybody all across Michigan is masks. Those things that we are being told time and again by our governor to wear across our face. The question becomes, who has to wear them? When do you have to wear them? And what happens if you don't? There's been a lot going on with this recently. It's been very fast-paced. So Jake and I wanted to bring in a friend of mine, a co-worker, Miss Emily Lawler from MLive is here with us today to talk all about masks. Ooh, I'm excited. <laughs> <laughs> so, so Emily, uh, first of all, tell us what's new right now when it comes to what the governor is requiring. Yeah, last week the governor um, sort of re-upped her ask that people, or her requirement, I should say, that people wear masks and then added something, not only indoors in public spaces now, but outdoors when you can't keep your social distance six feet. And Emily, walk us through what her uh, thinking is behind these mask requirements. Yeah, I mean, the governor has been really straightforward uh, on saying that basically these are a tool that we have and we don't have a lot of tools right now. We don't have a vaccine, we don't have a cure, but we do have this one simple, cheap, uh, relatively effective uh, method that we can use to try to slow the transmission of this disease. And of course, there's been political pushback to that, too, at the Capitol, uh, as, as I think most people understand. But uh, tell us what the uh, sort of the, the counter to what the governor is saying. Yeah, there's a lot of different uh, arguments on why people don't want to wear masks, uh, everything ranging from it being uncomfortable, difficult to breathe, medically uh, harmful in some way or medically unable to wear masks. Um, and then sort of just this freedom argument that, you know, uh, you live in a country, you didn't sign up to have uh, this requirement on you, basically. Now, when the governor did put together this order and prior orders, she has had exceptions to the mask rule. What are the current exceptions to having to wear a mask in these places? Yeah, there's a list of them. You don't have to wear a mask, for instance, uh, if you do have a medical condition that makes you unable um, or if you're giving a speech, uh, including if you're giving a sermon. Um, She has said she's not going to enforce the rule on anybody who's attending church either, although... Um, I believe the CDC does recommend that um, congregants socially distance um, at at churches. So there are a number of uh, situations where you don't have to wear a mask, but, um, you know, they're, they're not super broad. Really, most people in most public spaces and outdoor crowded spaces should be masking up. So, Emily, let's talk a little bit about enforcement, because throughout the entire pandemic, really, and the governor's orders, we we have been um, the the enforcement's been a huge question. And now it's really coming to a head. So uh, what enforcement mechanisms actually exist for what the governor is doing here? Yeah. So for the first time in her revised uh, order that came out last week, she put penalties in place. So you could be charged with a misdemeanor and fined up to five hundred dollars. Um, if you're not wearing a mask. But that does rely on um, someone enforcing that. And a lot of local sheriffs, uh, local police departments um, ha- have said that that's not something they're going to do. Um, either they don't have time for that or, uh, you know, in some cases, just not a priority. So uh, I think that really is an open question and there is going to be a little bit of a patchwork across the state. But the governor has said her goal isn't to, um, you know, be finding people left and right or anything. Um, But for the first time uh, since this requirement's been in place, it does have some teeth. 
Emily, if we see somebody who is not wearing a mask or businesses whose employees are not wearing masks, which the business shall remain nameless, but I have seen that happen. Uh, if people want to report, how can they report? Yeah, right now it's really up to your local police department. Um, I know that the attorney general seems like a natural place, but uh, sometimes you get kicked right back to your local police department. So Emily, you had mentioned that this is up to the local sheriffs and sort of local police departments to enforce, but that some of them are choosing essentially to not enforce the order. What are the reasons more specifically that they're giving for that? And, you know, what do we make of this sort of push-pull now between the governor and local law enforcement? Yeah, well, this is not the first time we've seen that push-pull. If you recall, during the stay-at-home period, there were some sheriffs who I think made it a little bit of a political statement um, that they weren't going to enforce that. And I think there's probably some more of that here. This is an easy way to get, um, you know, a lot of attention statewide uh, if you do take that stance. Um, And then it's on you to explain it. So I think that uh, for some people it is philosophical. For some people it's resource-driven. You know, you may not be making all the calls that um, you'd like to make as quickly as you'd like to make them as is. And this is sort of a a thing that maybe you don't have time to go out for. Um, So I I think that there's a variety of reasons, but we are left with a bit of a patchwork um, on on what's going to be enforced where. When we talk about enforcement, we talk about people seeing other people not wearing masks. I think there are some things that we should maybe talk about uh, when it comes to those exceptions that you mentioned before. Maybe just to reiterate the fact that um, just because you see someone not wearing a mask, it doesn't necessarily mean that it's either defiant or a political statement. Uh, There are people out there who cannot wear masks uh, in some cases. Yeah, and I've talked with some doctors about that, um, and they do say that conditions that uh, would merit that are rare, but they are out there. Um, You know, people with with breathing difficulties uh, and existing breathing issues uh, are one obvious example. There's also people who um, have skin issues where like a mask rubbing against their skin all day um, wouldn't be good uh, for them medically. Um, so there are a number of reasons that that people could be unable to tolerate these masks medically. Um, and then there's also just, um, you know, for instance, if you see a child under five without a mask, uh, that's because people under five don't have to wear masks. <laughs> so there's also some more more obvious exceptions as well. From what I've seen, at least on social media and, uh, you know, in the news and in other places, Republicans have been especially uh, sort of defiant of these orders and, you know, not happy with them. Um, When they do wear masks, they uh, have slogans on them saying, I don't want to wear this mask in some cases. How has this become such a political issue, just just the decision whether or not to wear a piece of fabric over your mouth? Whew, I think we need an hour on that one. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, you're, you're absolutely right. This has become very, very political. Um, I would point to a, an example. Michigan United for Liberty is one of the groups that held protests against the stay-at-home order on the Capitol lawn, and they're actually assembling a uh, naughty list, they called it, of businesses that wouldn't let people in without masks um, and trying to to sort of publicly make people aware um, in case there are people, um, it seems mostly conservatives, who 
uh, align with that viewpoint and don't want to go to these businesses that are requiring masks. Um, of course, that was before all businesses were required to require masks under the order. Um, but yeah, there's there's been sort of this uh, grassroots resistance, um, and I don't know how much of it springs from partisanship and how much of it springs from, uh, you know, don't tell me what to do sort of thing. Um, but the governor's been, been pretty... Uh, pretty understanding I think about those things I, I think that she quipped um that you can wear a mask that say I says I hate masks she just wants you to wear one I think that under the new more serious order a lot of people are um complying with it even if it is sort of uh, begrudgingly or or uh, making a bit of a political point while they do that <laughs> and Emily I'm, I'm curious you know there's a there's a lot right now up in the air about schools in the fall um, we haven't gotten any announcements. I haven't seen one as a parent as to whether or not school will likely require uh, kids to wear masks at this point. But does this rule affect uh, what we could expect to see if schools are back in session in the fall? Yeah, the schools have a couple of different possibilities depending on what economic reopening phase we're in. Um, but in-person instruction uh, does look like it will or probably will come with masks at this point um, if it happens, if we're in reopening phase four or five. Um, so, you know, at this point, though, the, the governor is, has said that she's uh, focused on getting to that point, right? <laughs> seeing if we can be in phase four or five, um, seeing if we can open schools. And uh, she said that wearing a mask is one way to make sure that uh, we can and that we get to that benchmark. All right, Emily Lawler, lead reporter on the statewide team at MLive. Thanks again for joining us on Mishmash. Hey, thanks for having me. So, Shana, before we get off the uh, off the podcast here, before we wrap up, um, you have some huge news. It's like you have huge news every week now, Shana. It's like you're, you're doing <laughs> crazy stuff all the time. But uh, you are now a published author. I mean. Congratulations. <laughs> That's so cool. Uh, so so tell the folks, tell tell your uh, your uh, legions of adoring fans here about uh, the book that you have coming out this week. Well, for the record, Mishmash will always be first and foremost in my heart. Um, but, you know, whilst working on uh, a bunch of other stuff, I managed to put together a book called Cold Cases, a True Crime Collection. It is out now at your bookstores and pretty much wherever books are sold. Uh, and it, essentially, it is a collection of 10 cold cases. Uh, they range from cases like the Black Dahlia murder, which happened uh, in the 1920s, to the Jean Benet Ramsey case, which happened in the 1990s. Uh, and they also include cases like D.B. Cooper, who is potentially tied to Michigan, depending on who you talk to, uh, and the uh, Isabel Stewart Gardner Museum heist. So there's some murder, there's some heist, there's, there's a little bit of something for everybody um, in these unsolved cases. And Shana, one of the things that I love about the the concept behind this book is that the cases are uh, the ones that maybe, you know, everyone has that lingering question about. Obviously, you know, if you're writing a cold cases book, you know, that's that's a good way to go. But it's really <laughs> geared toward the ones that have uh, fascinated people for for so long now that still remain unsolved. I mean, that's that, uh, you know, there's going to be a lot of interest uh, pretty much no matter uh, who you are in uh, in what happened in these cases. Yeah. I mean, everybody who doesn't love a good mystery. And these are really some of the biggest mysteries that that we have in our culture. I mean, you know, people are still 
fascinated with who the Zodiac killer is and who the black who killed the Black Dahlia or Elizabeth Short. Um, so a lot of them are famous, but some of them, you know, you might not know very well. I knew a lot of people who did not know about the Isabella Stewart Gardner Museum heist, where millions of dollars worth of art uh, was taken in the middle of the night and some people didn't know about the freeway phantom so there's a mix of cases that you might be familiar with as well as cases you might not be as familiar with Uh, but i tried with each case to bring in you know a little bit of humor a little bit of insight that maybe uh people hadn't thought of before to make everything feel fresh all right so from uh, michigan politics to true crime shana roth does it all ladies and gentlemen (laughs) that's all for mishmash this week i'm jake near and i'm shana roth thanks for tuning in 